0: Welcome to the MS Dev Show episode number 14. This week, we talked to Clark Cell about that conference and his new job at Telerik. Google Chrome is killing your laptop battery. And Microsoft kills off some Nokia phones. Carl, I'm so excited. I am too. <laughs> there, was that better? That was a little more upbeat than uh, last week. Yeah, we don't sound like Eeyore this week. Yeah, so uh, I am pretty excited though. I got a pool. I finally got that put in, and I swam in it last night. I have. Uh, I think I have some mild uh, hypothermia, but it was worth it. Takes a while for that to warm up. Yep. So anyway, uh, this week we have Clark Sell on the show. Hey, Clark.
1: Hi. How are you? <laughs>
0: oh, great. No, he's going to he's going to balance us out.
1: Do Do I need to sound mellow? Hi.
0: Well, you can sound however you want to sound, but if you want to sound uh, overly excited, that would be good, too. Oh, OK. Hi. Because this is this is huge for your career, Clark.
1: Is it? Yeah. Hi. Hi. How's it going? (laughs) I don't have a pool.
0: There we go. So, uh, well, let's just jump right into the news guys. So Carl, you got the first one on here. Yep. Uh, the first one is I found
2: this, uh, um, uh, thing on GitHub gist. um, it's an Mm -hmm. image optimizer from PowerShell. So, um, a lot of times when I'm doing web development, you know, I'll just grab an image, create one, find one, whatever, Mm -hmm. and I'll throw it up there and I'll forget that You know, PNGs are often, when they're created, just they have a lot of wasted space in them that could be compressed out. And this is a PowerShell that you can just have uh, put in your build system that automatically runs to compress and optimize all of your images.
0: So this handles all the different types? Um, I don't know
2: if it handles all the types, but I do know that that it handles PNGs, which is usually the worst culprits.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've actually, I've never spent too much time optimizing PNGs. I know JPEGs, it's really just a, you know, there's a trade-off between size and quality, so I don't I don't know how much can be optimized there. PNGs, yeah, I think you can end up squishing them, and the nice thing is they're lossless, so even if you run them through a tool like this, you shouldn't you shouldn't lose anything. Um, and then um, I have done a lot of GIF optimization before because there's like a palette involved, so yeah, th- this could actually this can actually have a pretty significant impact. So it looks like you just run this on your folder and it just goes through and does its thing.
2: Yep, and like I said, you could put it as part of your build process if you have yeah. if if you have that set up, and you don't even have to think about it at that point. I mean, there there's already a lot of great tools out there for like CSS and HTML minif- minification and, and JavaScript, mm-hmm. but uh, this is another big culprit that's out there, and it's something that could just help you get your site to be that much more responsive, that much quicker, and that that helps. I mean, Google um, puts moves you up in the rankings if you are uh, a faster site. Yeah, that's true. All right, so since you're talking about images,
1: I'm going to throw one in here. Sure. If you use the Adobe Suite, there's a hidden feature in there to where you can enable the images to get written as they change. So you name the layer um, a certain way that has the resolution and the extension, which is the image itself. Mm -hmm. And then anytime you save that, um, and you can have multiples of them on the same layer name. And then anytime you save that, it will output those images, how you set it up to do that. It's a humongous time saver if you want to do like uh, retina images oh, so and standard is, images.
0: I got you. So if you have like a source file that you're working with, it will, it, it sort of as a batch process will save off a whole bunch of uh, images.
1: A- anytime, anytime you edit it.
0: Okay. That's pretty Cool. Because then you don't even have to worry about something like this.
1: It, it's such a huge time saver, and if I could find my Adobe, I'd tell you what the check mark is. Okay,
0: yeah, we'll find it, and uh, we'll include something uh, in the show notes, hopefully, link to that feature. But that's that's pretty cool too. So moving on. So Carl, Microsoft unifies dev resources for Windows Store and phone. Tell me about yeah. this.
2: Yeah. So one of the things that I kind of found annoying as a as a Windows Phone developer was. They had a lot of their documentations and stuff on dev.windowsphone.com, mm-hmm. and which is separate. I mean, a lot of times when you go do uh, you know Google searches or whatever, the canonical spot is under MSDN.microsoft.com. And so, what Microsoft uh, just did is they consolidated the the documentation, uh, the code samples, and the developer forms for all of those to be back under some form of msdn.microsoft.com or code.microsoft.com mm-hmm. but they brought them back to where they're quote you know in my opinion supposed to be. Okay. So so the the portals the dev portals are still separate yet. Um they are working on merging them but this is not part of that at the this point but um all of the other dev resources um to look up you know um APIs and samples and that stuff th- um they're now unified again
0: okay yeah this is this is always a problem right i think i think this stuff goes through cycles like there's a there's a sort of a surge of changes and innovation and the documentation lags behind or or sort of happens in silos and then it takes a while for it to get consolidated again yeah um so this is, this is nice
2: yeah but it also makes more sense with the universal apps um system i mean they're really pushing that big time and you know if everything really is one under the seams again then it doesn't make sense for the documentation to be in different spots either.
0: Yeah. So can I get, oh, look at this. Okay. So dashboard. So yeah, I just logged in. It says uh and then I went to the um dashboard of that site. Oh man, this is nice. So yeah, I was able to get to my uh apps that I had published and it you can go to the your your desktop apps and your Windows phone apps. I could never for the life of me remember this uh this URL because it's it's technically taking me to appdev.microsoft.com. I can I my brain is incompatible with remembering that. So now that I can remember dev.windows.com, that's nice. And you said all so everything is at that URL now. It looks like or linked from there. Yeah. Okay. And
2: and behind the scenes, you know, when when you do go to those different spots, I mean, they're all in the same spot.
0: Yeah. No, that's way better. Cool. Okay. Um, and then we got an article here. Google Chrome is killing your Windows laptop battery. Here's why. So I don't. I don't know if you put this one in or if I did, yeah, Carl. I,
2: I put this one in. I, I thought this one was really interesting. Yep. yep. So w- what's going on is uh, when uh, a program has the opportunity on Windows to kind of redefine uh, when the system clock uh, kind of checks for updates from the program. Mm-hmm. And by default, it's at you know 15 and a quarter milliseconds. But Chrome changed that to one millisecond, which means that it's running... Um, a thousand times per second compared to 64 times per second on internet Explorer or Firefox. And because of that, you could be uh, uh, getting 25% better battery life using uh, IE or Firefox versus Chrome.
0: Yeah. So I've actually known about the battery life difference for quite a while, but this is the first time I've seen anybody attempt to explain it. I always thought it was just a, you know, horrible efficiency or something Because the first thing you'll notice if you use Especially like the 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 lower power device that you use. If you use the modern version of Internet Explorer, it actually scrolls smoothly um, with touch. And if you use Chrome, you know it's kind of bouncing around. And um, it's funny, my Chrome just uh, it just crashed. I don't think it likes me talking bad about it. But no, <laughs> you, you could. It, it always felt like you know Chrome had some kind of issues on these on these lower power devices. And, and people are always talking about how it used more more battery power. And I think this was this was just nice that. They actually have an explanation. If it if it's true, I assume it's true. Everybody's been talking about this, so it sounds yep. like they can fix this. There's been there's a I guess there's a bug that's been filed for a couple of years that that it's finally getting some additional attention. Yeah,
2: and considering that most developers that I know, their primary uh, browser is Chrome. You know, this is kind of important to know. Yeah. And they also mentioned that this doesn't happen on other platforms because other platforms don't let you to to make this adjustment. Yeah. yeah and I so still. Yeah, So if you're a Mac or Linux user, you don't have to worry about this. Your battery life will be about the same either way.
0: Yeah. Don't say anything, Clark. (laughs) (laughs) Just, just keep your mouth shut now. So I, uh, I've actually, you know, I, I still use Chrome. I've tried to, um, you know, there's times that I'll use IE whenever I'm on, like I said, whenever I'm on like my surface pro three, if I just want to do some casual browsing, but for the most part, I have to stay in Chrome. And there's, there's two main reasons for me. One is the the uh, the favorites bar, you can actually put icons in there without text, which is huge for me. And then the other one is the basically just the extension model. And some of those extensions are available on IE. But man, if like IE supported the Chrome extension model, plus you know allowed me to put these icons on my favorites bar, I, I would I would seriously consider switching over to IE at that point. It'd be I think it'd be a close race then.
1: Have you guys seen Breach? Nope. No. Breach is a new open source browser that's built on top of Node, Chromium, um, and then an HTML layer uh, that apparently you can take and do whatever you so choose.
0: So it's a browser written in JavaScript.
1: Well, it's Chromium.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sitting on
1: top of Node and then, you know, a UI, JS, CSS layer
0: wow that's that's interesting
1: i uh, it'll be interesting to see where it where it goes if it takes off,
0: yeah, and what the um, performance is,
1: well, yeah, I mean, you look at it and it's kind of like all right well you're you know you're somewhat Chrome already, so yeah, what's the point but yeah, I guess you could I guess if you wanted to tailor your own browser, you've got quite a ways you you've you're most of the way done. Yeah, well, so I don't maybe... think
0: you—you you must not have heard. Node.js is dead now. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you did you see that article? I don't. Did we talk about that, Carl, on the show? We we mentioned it. Okay. Yeah. There was a there was an article about that where like people are abandoning Node.js to go to the the next big thing. But uh, no, I think I think Node.js has has some legs to to stick stick around. Well, that's I, interesting.
1: I don't think it's going anywhere. No, I <laughs> no. don't think
0: so either. I mean, it's it's yeah it. it a couple of people are leaving, but it, I don't know. I think there's more people joining than leaving. So,
1: yeah. I mean, isn't that with any technology? Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, let's see what's next. Microsoft kills off Nokia feature phones. This was yours, Carl. Yep.
2: Yeah, well, obviously one of the big news, uh, that came out, uh, yesterday and today, um, was the layoffs that Microsoft is having mm-hmm. and some of the hardest hit, uh, divisions of this are inside Nokia and it was announced that the uh, Nokia X uh, division will be uh, moving over to using Windows phone operating system and that the Asha and series 40 are going to be just put in a maintenance mode and then deprecated. So really at this point, you know, the former Nokia division um, isn't really going to have a feature phone anymore going forward.
0: Right, right. Well, I, I think I, for me, I, you know, I, I guess I, I don't understand the dynamics of, of the smartphone business, like around the world and the the whole thing, but it it always did feel really wrong to, to have, you know, like a, a product that competes with your own product. And I, I got like the services play there, but it, it just felt really strange and I never really wanted, you know, there was no, no point at which I wanted to, um, you know, go to my friends and be like, Hey guys, you should go out and get the Nokia X phone you know, it just, it, it never seemed that right to me. I don't know what you think, Clark.
3: Uh,
1: it's hard. I mean, you know, as somebody who now completely pays attention to it, um, I don't know, you know, every country and c- culture has a different adoption of phones. Mm-hmm. You know, the U S is, is different than, uh, than England than China. Um, you know you still need a low cost phone you know does that mean it's a smartphone i don't know
0: yeah i mean that's what people don't realize too like the nokia 5 lumia 520 is the third best smart selling uh, smartphone in the world and uh you know you it's funny cuz the closer you get to like san francisco or just in in the bay area there you know it's 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 iPhones everywhere and everybody thinks that the whole world uses iPhones and then you even once you get out of there and you just look at the us Uh, as a as a whole it's still like oh well it's it's mostly you know iphone but then whenever you start to get in some of these other countries then then the you know the pie chart of of the of the different uh, phones it just really changes a lot and people just they don't realize it and it's totally different requirements you go to india and they you know i've talked to people there and they you know they always have to pay full price for their phones so unless you're making really good money you're going to be buying, you know, the 520 is really appealing. Heck, it's, I think it's getting more and more appealing here in the U.S. I mean, these, these low end smartphones are starting to get, you know, relatively speaking, I think the gap is starting to close. You know, my mom, she had a, a 920. Um, it ended up, she had a, she had an issue with it. And uh, we were looking at a couple different options and she was going to go on a, on a payment plan to buy a new phone, you know, like the, the at and Next. And then I told her about the, the, um, you know, the 520, And I said, yeah, this is 55 bucks and there's no, you know, you pay nothing extra. I said, you can just throw it on the ground and go buy another one. And she's like, well, you know what? That's fine. She's like, what, what's wrong with it? And I said, well, it doesn't have a front facing camera and it's a little bit slower. And she got it. And she's like, she was surprised by it. And it came in a nice package and had a, it had like two chargers with it. And for 55 bucks, it was just an insane deal.
1: Yeah. So I, I, uh, so there's, I got a couple of things on that. So, you know, I was on a call with a partner the other day and, you know, the word BlackBerry came back up, which um, I was pretty floored by. Um, (laughs) But, you know, we here in the U.S. look at it and say, you know, that's a dead platform and the reality is it's still there. The other thing that I think, at least on the Windows side, which isn't very well accounted for, is the non-phone device. Yeah, so like the iPod. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And and as somebody who has a conference who wants the non-phone device, um, you you need a, a a lower cost device, and the lower cost devices on the Windows side or from Nokia don't have the things that you typically want without the radio. Like there will there's not any NFC. So this these scenarios that you want to put these lower cost devices in you're stuck buying a higher end device and you may or may not even need the the radio right and, and that's for me that's a pretty big gap on the windows side of things mm-hmm. but i you know i was obviously there and there's no indication that they're ever going to close that so
0: yeah well it's gonna i mean as the price of components go down it's going to be harder and harder to leave things out you know whenever it gets down to hey you could include nfc for 10 cents you know, yeah, but I,
1: they they can include it on the 520, and they're not doing it. Yeah. So there's, there's a, somebody somewhere said, this is our way to get them to buy a higher end phone.
0: Yeah, it happens. The, the TV I have upstairs, it's an LG and, uh, I, I love that TV and I bought it whenever it was about three years ago that I bought that. So when I needed to get another TV for a different room, I went over to Best Buy and I was looking at the TV and it was, you know, it was a good price. I I decided to go online and read some reviews and here it was horribly reviewed. And I knew the one I bought was very well reviewed here. What LG decided to do in the newer model, because they didn't have enough differentiation in their product lines was they removed a whole bunch of features because that wasn't their top of the line TV. you know, people, they, they knew that their, their mid range TV was killing the high range because there was just no reason to get the, the high end TV for the difference in money. So they intentionally neutered it. So yeah, maybe maybe that's going to that that's what it's going to turn into which is a little bit of a shame
1: like i said as somebody trying to buy a device that doesn't have a radio in it <laughs> it's a problem
0: yeah that's interesting
1: especially, especially if you want to buy a large number of them
0: yeah interesting okay uh so one thing i wanted to mention wpc was this past week um i didn't have a whole lot specifically to talk about Can you
2: explain what that is for people who don't know? Oh,
0: sorry. Sure. So WPC is the worldwide partner conference. So this is when, I don't know what the attendance was, but this is when, you know, all the Microsoft partners, uh, come into town. This was in Washington, DC. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very particular, or it's a very, you know, there's a specific audience that, that ends up going to that. Um, so there was, there was a mixture of, you know, like here, here are some of the technologies that, that, uh. You know, some of the from a from a high level, like they even showed off some of the things that were announced at build, you know, because the, a lot of these people wouldn't necessarily have been at a developer conference. Um, and then there was things like um, uh, one thing that was pointed out was, you know, the speed of Azure innovation. And they didn't really drill into a lot of the Azure features, but there was an interesting slide that uh, showed, you know, all the features that were added in 2013 and everything that was added in 2014 so far. And and the only thing I wanted to point out here is it really is amazing just the the pure number of features and the the momentum uh, of the um, you know additional features going into Azure. I thought that was really neat how that was showcased. Um, and then the only other thing I wanted to mention was Sachin Adela and his statement. Um, he made that his quote was, "We will reinvent productivity." And you know his point was that that he's taking Microsoft to place you know back to the core of what Microsoft does best. I think a lot of people felt with, with Balmer that he was, you know, he saw his, his eyes turned into dollar signs, you know, like as if he was, you know, in a cartoon, right. And, uh, he, he saw the, the huge opportunity with mobile and, um, and didn't quite know how to, to execute upon that. And like what, what Microsoft could really bring to the table. So I think Satya has a, has a, um, you know, a little bit more refined vision there. I know that he's put out a lot of different statements that were, you know, a little bit more generic, but um, I think that, you know, that the, his statement was one of the kind of one of his uh, core messages there.
1: So I would actually argue that point a little bit. All okay. right. Uh, I, I, I think Steve is, you know, probably one of the smartest guys around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can't believe that he didn't know necessarily how to do it, but I think was kind of haunted by his past culture and and the leadership team and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that, I guess I'm I'm inferring, but I just can't see that Microsoft from an executive level, knowing who's involved and how they're involved, that some of this just wasn't planned out. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure, you know, things being different, maybe Steve would have done things differently, you know, in the past as will, you know, Satya when he's going through his tenure. But, um, you have to wonder how much of this was intentional, how much of the things that happened kind of in the end of Steve's reigns was intentional to set Satchi up to be in a good position. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you just can't take a multi-billion dollar company and like, ah, you know, we'll change it. Right. 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 So, I, and I don't, I'm not trying to play conspiracy theory or anything, but you know, the, all those guys are so damn smart that you just have to wonder how they were playing things with the public and, how they, they needed to do certain things to align other things. Who knows?
0: Okay. Yeah. I I think that's a, a reasonable take. And I, I don't think he's trying to, you know, completely steer the ship into uh, a different direction. Um, I think it's, it's just kind of honing the the message a little bit more, but yeah, you, I know that you were around a lot more during the, uh, the Steve day. So you, you would know him a lot better than I do. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next uh you know, next couple of years.
1: Yeah, I mean it gets down to delivery, right? You know, I think that's the thing that everybody in the market wants to see is where where's the innovation?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, how fast can you do it? So and people like Guthrie, I mean, they've done he's done more for Azure oh, know, yeah. than anybody before him. But then you look over at Office and you go, what's taking so long? So, yeah. And there's culture and people and executives and, you know, partnerships with people. I get it. Um,
0: but yeah. And it's tough because, you know, at that level, you know, like when I, back in my GE days, um, you know, it was kind of funny because GE is such a diverse company. The, the products span, you know, everything from aircraft engines to, you know, like cock that you find at, at Home Depot. Right. <laughs> so, so, so what, as a CEO of a company like that, like, what do you say? And, and, and it was funny because from the top three levels of management, all I ever heard was like, you know, their, their message, like the only thing they could be say, was like, do good, right. Be great. And move lower forward. your operating expenses. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that was in, yeah, <laughs> internally like, Hey, you guys need to cost a lot right. less and make more money. Right. Uh, but that was the only thing that they could say to us. Cause they couldn't be like the key to our success is double checking all the bolts on the aircraft engines. Like th- that. No, that doesn't <laughs> make sense. That that makes sense for that division. Um, and you know, Microsoft is, uh, you know, it's not, it's not quite the same amount of di- diversification, but it is pretty diverse. Like you mentioned, you know, Azure, um, everybody sees them as like really having it together and really killing it. And then, yeah, there's, there's other parts that, that maybe aren't that way.
1: Uh, um, well, and, and, you know, like I said, that's that's artifact of an individual, right? Mm-hmm. That individual yep. Scott um, and him going in and kind of kicking people in the ass and saying, this is the way we're going to do it. Yep. Um, and I'm sure that's come with, you know, a lot of arguing and fighting and, you know, internal battles. But mm-hmm. that's what, I think that's what good leaders have to do.
3: Yep.
0: Totally agree. Anything and I think the-
1: Satya will do a good job. I mean, I think he's kind of right place, right time. Yeah. But let's see in a year what he delivers.
0: Right. Cause and this,
1: this train was, you know, already moving and it doesn't just stop, you know, the office release was already in play. It's not like he just pulled the light switch on it and said, and it's done.
0: Oh yeah. sacha is, he is getting a lot of credit for things that were in, you know, in the works for years. Right. Yeah. And, and it's funny. Cause like, you know, he's, he's getting credit for some things that that clearly take three years to build. And they're like, wow, Sacha really killed it with this product. Right. <laughs>
2: Look how fast he delivered Office for well, the Well, yeah, it was iPad. Office for
0: iPad was the big one.
2: Right. <laughs> and that came out what a month after he he got in.
0: Exactly. English. Yeah, yeah. Like
1: well, it took two weeks to write and two weeks to test. It was fine. Yeah,
0: I mean, since he was doing it himself.
1: Yeah. They used <laughs> the telerik platform to do
0: it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So uh next up, uh, this one was gr- this one I liked. Office 365 subscribers now have one terabyte of OneDrive storage. So at first, what happened was OneDrive for Business got one terabyte of storage, which is basically like one terabyte of SharePoint storage because OneDrive for Business is backed by SharePoint. It's a little confusing. And then the consumer product of OneDrive was stuck at, uh, I think, like seven gigabytes was was what it was at for the longest time. Um, So surprisingly, I, I didn't know that this was coming. I, I thought it was just on the on the OneDrive for business side but even on the like consumer version of OneDrive if you have an Office 365 subscription even if it's the lowest one uh you get this terabyte of storage. So I just I just looked at my account and I have I actually have about uh what is it 1278 gigabytes of storage now in OneDrive which is which is pretty huge. Um and if you think about it so you pay 100 bucks for um, office 365 per year. And then you actually go in. I, to be honest, so the first time I looked at it was a few days ago and how you actually do this. You go in and and it's got like a list of people, your, your family members, and you just, you just add your family members. Into there. I think you can have it says five family members. So you, they can all be running office and you can have it on five different devices, or maybe it's each user gets that it's, it's pretty, it's, it's not a very strict license. It, it understands that people have a whole bunch of devices and, you know, computers and tablets and, and that type of thing. But to have a terabyte of storage in there now is nice because I think we've I think we've mentioned this on here before, but you can throw a terabyte of documents on there and then on your, you know, you might have a tablet with 128 gigs of storage. You still have access to all those files. What it does is the files you've accessed recently are cached locally on the machine. And then uh, you know, the rest of them are just considered offline, but you can still open them. It just takes a second for those to download.
1: You know. As far as much as I love OneDrive, the one Mm -hmm. thing they've got to fix is how long it takes to synchronize.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know, um, you know, compared to Dropbox, Dropbox does like an immediate synchronization. I'm not sure what, I'm not sure why that is to be, to be honest with you. I'm not sure how, how they've perfected it in OneDrive. It's gotten better for me. I noticed uh, sometimes the, the issue that I have is, is I actually have um, an encrypted drive that I store my OneDrive on. So when I start my computer up, it's unavailable. I put in my BitLocker key, and then um, and then OneDrive can do its thing. But it it seems like OneDrive doesn't like pick up that that drive is now decrypted. Right. So it won't sync for a while, and then I have to go in there. So one thing that you can do is you can open up the OneDrive app and and sort of kick it if you like need it to synchronize right now.
1: I thought we were out of the days of having <laughs> to kick software to do stuff.
0: Ah, <sighs> I wish. I wish. So it, it's not perfect, but. The the OS integration to me is is worth having a little bit higher lag than Dropbox, and and guess what I yeah I think that lag is gonna go away, I you know I don't know when it's gonna happen but I I gotta think that that that's gonna keep getting better and better.
1: I I would assume so too. Yeah.
0: Okay, so now, we can finally talk uh, to Clark Cell in depth here. So, uh Clark, just to give you a little bit give everybody a little bit of background. So, he was a former coworker of mine, uh working in uh DPE at Microsoft, now called uh DX. I don't know if that transition happened while you were here.
1: Nope, missed that one.
0: Okay, so we went from DPE to DX, So we're uh developer experience and evangelism. Uh that Fun. was be- that was because of the Nokia merger. So, you are now the manager of the enterprise line at Telerik, and you're also in this um, makes it so that, uh, you can't have any kind of personal life. You're founder of a conference known as that conference. <laughs> yeah. So I know, Yeah. I know, I know in the days leading up to the conference or I should say weeks or months or, you know, whatever the time frame is, things get Years. a little crazy. So yeah, you're the, you're the founder and you know, you're, you're the guy at the end of the day that it has to make sure everything work. And my personal experience was that, uh, that conference, like it's very well run. There was a conference recently. Did you hear about, um, what was that conference, That Tumblr conference? That, oh, I don't know. Yeah, there was a, um, I can't remember what they called it because it was going to be TumblrCon and then they renamed it. It was this big thing that ha- they, they basically, uh, they had a room and uh, they, they tried to extort a whole bunch of money out of people and there was, uh, their entertainment <laughs> was a ball pit. But anyway, it was basically uh, how not to run a conference. So you, you do a great job at that conference. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. So thanks. Thank you very, very much for coming on here. Uh, excited to talk to you.
1: Yeah, I'm excited too. It's yeah. been a while since I've uh, been on a podcast.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you, cause you used to, uh, you used to co-run a podcast, right? Or was it yours or?
1: Uh, yeah. Mark, Mark and I got a Mark Nichols. We had developer Smackdown. Okay. Um, it's still up there. I think we got to about 70 shows. Um, in truth be told, our steam got taken out of us when the first build happened. We, we had gone loaded up with gear and we had, uh, you know, probably 10, 15 guys we were going to interview. All the shows were lined up and we showed up at the, at the conference and all the Microsoft people were told that they were on gag order and we weren't allowed to do anything. And we had to cancel obviously all the shows cause we were Microsoft individuals. And, um, after that we got, ended up getting busy with the conference and it just kind of became a lower priority as, uh, I guess my house went on the line to try to put a conference on. So,
0: yeah, I got you. So just prioritization.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yep. Uh,
0: So anyway, so you, you know, you and I worked together at Microsoft for many years. Um, I'm kind of curious, what was it like, you know, what was your transition over to Telerik like?
1: Well, let's (laughs) see. So I've had like three jobs in my life. Granted I've had different roles throughout, but you know, I started my career at Allstate and, um, that was a 35, 37,000 person company and I was there for eight years and then I moved to Microsoft and Microsoft, you know, was a 90,000 person company at the time, or probably a little less, but 90 when I left before the Nokia stuff. Um, and I can remember starting at Microsoft and just thinking it was complete anarchy. Um, I didn't understand how anybody got anything done. And six months went by, and I thought I knew what I was doing, and I got slapped again. And another six months went by, and I thought I had a handle on things, and I got slapped again. And you got about two years into the job, and you realized you finally had a understanding as to how to live in a Microsoft land. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I spent five years in evangelism, or five years in consulting and three years in evangelism, um, and then went to now at Telerik, which is a... 700 person company, uh, 600 of us are in Bulgaria and the other hundred are spread across the Oh, wow. The I world. didn't realize
0: that there were that many that were, you know, located in Bulgaria.
1: Yeah. We have three buildings in Sofia. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't want to, it's not all engineering, but it's, that's the majority of engineering out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of the, you know, there's some legal stuff and some marketing and there's some product management um, in the U.S., we have three offices we got one in Austin, Boston, and Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's guys kind of spread throughout everywhere, so um, it's different, you know. This is the smallest company I've ever worked for,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and the I think the transition, you know, you and I were working at, I guess, now DX. You know, I was only in that job for a year, um, so you know, switching from my field job to that corporate job and then the corporate job to, to Telerik, they're similar. I mean, any new job you have, kind of getting your feet under you and learning company culture and acronyms and, you know, how people just do stuff. Right. Um, the biggest difference for me switching to Telerik is just the... Uh, the company culture is so different, yeah. Um, and you know, for me, different in a good way. You know, everybody's highly motivated to make good products. Everybody works together. That's it's a uh, a very nice, friendly you know environment, and it's completely different than that of Microsoft. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, so far, let's see. What am I in? Maybe two months, and it hasn't been that long. Um, I'm I'm enjoying it.
0: Yeah. That's great. So, so what do you, uh, what exactly do you do there? So
1: I am a product manager. Um, I own, uh, and I use own in a loose term because, you know, I don't own anything. Um, but I'm responsible for the, the enterprise platform. So Mm -hmm. if you go to com, that is our entire suite of tools to build, uh, mobile applications for iOS, Android, and Windows. Um, and that's, that's made up of a number of products, App Builder, App Prototyper, um, the backend services, on and on. My charter is to take all of those things and make sure that they work really well together in the enterprise. Um, so have a consistent story, make sure that we're supporting things like extensibility, and, um, I don't know, device management, you know, plugins with, uh, the right kind of enterprise level stuff. Um, so I work with a whole bunch of product managers who own each of those products and then the, uh, the engineering teams and the marketing teams and the sales guys to make sure that we have that enterprise story, um, as good as we can make it.
2: Yeah. I was playing around with this this morning. In fact, I, I had gotten accepted into uh to use this um and one of the things that i really liked with it you know when you start it up um i didn't know exactly what it was but you get a nice short video that shows you how to use it and then the other thing is right when you're done with the video there's already a test project you know it's fully functional it has all the code and it works in there so i thought that was really useful for me to get started into understanding how this works that's good that's something we've been actually talking quite a bit about we call it the the first
1: five minutes, mm-hmm. you know, we want to make sure that the first five minutes are a productive five minutes, but not useless. Um, and
2: that's that's a pretty hard thing to achieve. Uh, yeah, yeah. The next thing that I was really impressed is, you know, I kind of looked at some of the code, saw how it worked, and I just hit run, and you can run it on a bunch of different emulators. They're all in the browser, and all of the all the emulators worked really solidly. Um, for someone who's done some Android development, you know, that's that's important because the native Android emulator sucks. I, I don't think anybody will disagree with that. But, I mean, it, it was for, you know, considering this is something that runs in the browser, this is, you know, done really well.
1: Yeah, we, you know, a little story here, but we we started using, and when I say we, in this context, I mean everybody at that conference, we had started building our first round of apps with uh, the Telerik platform before it had ever been announced. Um, so, and we simply went to it for the sheer fact that we were guys who knew JavaScript and um, web stuff, and we needed to build for the, the cross-platform space. And our first round of stuff, you know, was as good as the time we had to put into it. Um, you know, that conference is kind of a, a side job, if you will. Um, and it's it had been a year or so since I had touched it and then I got the job at Telerik and um, had got to play with it again. And I was quite surprised by how far it had come. You know, there's a CLI so that you can use it with Sublime. Um, there's now uh, simulators. If you're in Sublime, you can fire open a simulator and get an iPhone and, and use that. So there's there's a lot of cool stuff in there, and, you know, we're continuing to to build out the, the roadmap and the features that, um, you know, we think will enable everybody to make some kick-ass stuff.
2: As, as developers, you know, a lot of times we like to do things ourselves and, you know, just code things up on our own. But we also know that at a certain point, we should just, you know, stop reinventing the wheel. Uh, you know, when should we look to Telerik? To provide those additional things, you know, you know, I think that's it's an interesting
1: question. You know, I I think there is a you know if you look at any buy versus build situation, um, you know, sometimes you have to ask yourself, are you capable in a certain area? Right? Um, in the case of Teleric, their history has come from UI controls and making controls that were so easy for people to implement that you would go, why would I not spend money on this, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have to waste my time building these controls. And they did such a nice job with the user interface that I couldn't do that anyways. And now we're in this world where, you know, when we think about mobile, you have to think about the multiple different platforms you have to think about things like deployment and security. You have to think about um, device management and feedback and push notifications and backend services and, you know, on and on and on. And, you know, the as I get to talk to some of our, our customers and our partners, you know, the uh, the maturity of the organization and their development process, you know, really stands out. You know, the guys who... Who have put a little bit of thought into mobile and understand the importance of like a responsive image or um, I don't know device management or security or you know one of these things. The questions are a lot different than the person who wants a uh, is asking for drag and drop onto a surface because they don't want to learn how to do binding you know on Kendo or you know insert you know JavaScript library here and so. I think as a developer, you know, you have to just ask yourself kind of what is it you your, what's your core focus? You know, where are you wanting to add that value? And then what do you use to make you look awesome? Um, because there's limited time. And so when I think about our platform, I think about the the niche guy who's you know badass and could ride his own controls and do all his stuff the way he wanted to you know the hobbyist high school guy who you know wants to get something out um and just play around and I think there's a balance of you know the platform being able to serve both sides of that um and and adapt itself you know such that both can be happy um I think we're in a world now where you know the cost of software is so much cheaper than it used to be. You know, it's like asking why would you buy an editor? You know, that's dumb, right? <laughs> yeah. Of course you'd buy one, right? And I still
0: I'd, use CopyCon. <laughs>
1: so, I you know, I think I think Carl like to your point, right? It, there here's a 30 in your case you're getting it for free, but you know, there's a there's a trial, you know, for almost any piece of software these days that you can use Why would you not invest a day, two, three days and go look at something and see what it has to offer before you even got started with anything?
2: Um, That's actually a really good point, because when I first got started in Windows Phone development, uh, one of the early features I wanted to add to something was charting. And I'm like, well, this is out of my league. So I used the trials of a couple different places and I ended up uh, buying the Telerik package because it was, you know, using the trial, I found out, Hey, this is the easiest and it gets me exactly what I wanted. Right. And so our,
1: you know, to your earlier question, you know, when do you look to Telerik, um, you know, or somebody else, right. To, to buy something to augment and think as when I think of the platform and all the products that are underneath that, um, it is somewhat of a, a different question of not just you know do you need a control that does a thing but it's like how do we make you build your thing faster um, and how is it going to be less bugs and less of a headache for you um, because it's not controls right it's it's simulators it's deployment it's you know packaging it's feedback um, I look at our there's a there's a feature in the platform called app feedback and I I know you guys have heard me speak at various conferences about this, mm-hmm. but, you know, when it comes to feedback, the worst billboard for you is the guy writing the review who says, you know, your app sucks or there's this JavaScript error or mm-hmm. whatever. In the Telerik platform, we have something called app feedback, and basically you add this, you know, uh, you know some JavaScript into your thing, and you 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 got an account on, you know, on the server side of things, and you shake the phone inside your app, and you get a feedback screen person can enter feedback it goes to a dashboard your dashboard you can respond to it you know you get kind of a bug log if you will and you know who wants to write that like that's that's not your that's not anybody's core business right right your core business is the app that you're trying to create yet here's this feature that keeps people away from your billboard and so the value for me with something like that is it's a no-brainer why Mm -hmm. would you why would you not use it Um, but I think getting people into that mindset and especially the enterprise, you know, they're, they're very slow to adopt new things. Um, they're just now getting into the mobile space, um, relative to, you know, San Francisco and everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you have to kind of walk them down some of that journey and, and get them to think about it a little bit more.
0: Cool. So let's, uh, let's shift gears big time here. Let's talk about that conference. So go ahead and tell us what that conference is all about.
1: Wow. The other half of my life. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, so that conference uh, was an idea that a buddy and I, you know, I, I, we used to meet at the bar every other weekend for lunch and we would just talk about stuff. And I came to him one day and I said, you know, I, I've got this crazy idea. I just want to know if you're in or out. And the crazy idea was I was unhappy with kind of the level of cross-community around the midwest and in our case we'll call that you know illinois wisconsin minnesota iowa mm-hmm. um and instead of kind of complaining and you know trying to get user groups to talk to one another we said look i just you know i liked what code mash had done i had liked what some other groups had done across the united states and i said Let's do it. I want to go do this. Um, and yeah, he goes, to be hard." Well, and he goes, "You're <laughs> crazy, but I'm in." Yeah. Um, so we, you know, I knew the guys that ran CodeMash, so I I talked to them for a bit to kind of understand exactly what we were going to do. And I had originally pitched to them, you know, doing code Ma- or CodeMash North or you know, Summer CodeMash or something. And um, Jim and Brian at the time were against that they mm-hmm. they wanted to keep their thing and you know looking back I totally agree with the advice then um and since then we've oh we've always partnered with one another um but you know we went to the Kalahari we didn't want it in Chicago because Chicago's too expensive we mm-hmm. wanted people to leave we didn't want them to be tempted to go back to work um So the Kalahari is the biggest resort in the Dells. And for anybody who doesn't know what the Dells is, it's basically the water park capital of the world. There's more water slides there than there probably are feet of street. Um,
2: Right. Wisely placed
1: in Wisconsin. Right. It's basically (laughs) cornfield, cornfield, rest stop, cornfield, giant water park, cornfield, cornfield. Um, And so we went to the Kalahari and said, we want to do this thing. You know, we were kind of thinking about this date. Um, and they said, sure, we can give you some time and here's a contract. And so four years ago, I, we were like, shit, if we don't hold up to it, you know, just by signing on the line the next day, we would owe them Mm
3: $30,000.
1: And so this idea had to become a company. And so the first two years, it took us two years before we kicked off the first conference and It was setting up the company and, you know, getting attorneys and getting sued and you name it, Um, getting set up with the Kalahari and kind of going through that. And we had our first one, I think the first year we had maybe all of 400 people. Mm -hmm. Um, We had about 60 family members. A big thing for us is um, exposure to kids uh, and spouses. And so we've been kind of... Crawling on that side rather than jumping all in. So the first year we had maybe 40, 60 people. Um, and you know, we survived. Um, we survived somewhat in the, in, in the own demise of the Kalahari screwing up and owing us money back. Um, for, for those that think they understand what it takes to put on a conference, um, let me, uh, gently, throw out some figures. Uh, I think the first year it cost us roughly $200,000 wow. with about 175000 of that um, in food. Um, and the other twenty five forty thousand. 40000 we didn't have many expenses the first year because we made everything. Like we made the signs, we made the giveaways, like anything that we could make, we made.
0: Well, time is money, so... You and, know, if you, eh, right. you start to translate that, I I I can only imagine what that figure would be.
1: Yeah, and and the first year we had, you know, five, five about ten people, five to ten people somewhere in there, um, who worked every night for months on end to make the website and the apps and the you know, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. The second year, which was last year, you know, I think it cost us two fifty, two sixty, maybe two hundred thousand um, in food and another, you know, 50 to 80,000 expenses. Um, you know, every year we try to do a little bit more for the speakers. Every year we have grown, mm-hmm. you know, last year we had 700 people, um, 700 professionals and somewhere around five, 600, maybe, um, family members. Mm-hmm. We didn't have, it was a little harder to track the family members last year cause we didn't have a per ticket for them.
0: That's a, that's a pretty si- good size group though.
1: It was a good, yeah, we yeah. had 1,300 we people. We filled up a big through. room. Yeah, there, yeah, that was <laughs> a lot of pig. Yeah. Um, but S- when you it- think about $200,000 in food, right, we have contracts, we have to fill so many rooms, we have to eat so much food. Um, and when stuff goes like last year, you know, the network switches failed and we had to get new switches brought into the Kalahari. I mean, Cisco flew them out engineers out overnight and swap switches and all kinds of stuff. Wow. That was a reflection on us when it wasn't really our problem. You know, yeah. hardware failure and failure on the Kalahari's part. Um, and, you know, this year we, we've already beat last year's numbers. Um, our expenses are more this year than they were last year. Um, you know, some of that is, you know, increased costs, just of things that we do every year mm-hmm. um, and the, and the
0: attendees only cover I mean they're not even they're not really even covering themselves right it's really no. made up by, by sponsorships and things like that
1: yeah so um, this year will probably cost us about three hundred thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars a an attendee ticket this year is four hundred dollars it is about six hundred fifty dollars or more per head that number goes down as attendees go up. Um, it's kind of the way the business model works. Um, and the sponsors offset their ticket cost. And then, of course, the expenses of the conference, mm-hmm. um, which is their ticket cost, too. So we have um, this year, I think we've got twenty twenty five sponsors, sponsors, um, some really good ones. Every year, we've actually turned sponsors down um, because we felt like they weren't a good fit for the thing that we were doing. Okay. Um, That sounds odd when you're kind of begging people for money, Um, but we, when we set out to create that conference, it wasn't about necessarily education. It was about creating a community of people who, after the conference, had this community to excel in their jobs and their careers. Mm -hmm. So we have, while we have a hundred, we'll probably end up with 250 sessions by all said and done. The uh, we have less than our capacity so that we could have more time between sessions for networking, so that we could have open spaces, so that we could have activities at night to bring the families together. You know, we've got sessions for the families and for the kids so that the kids get some exposure to programming and really, you know, STEM kind of overall.
0: Yeah, that that is a big part of the conference because I've been there. I th- I've only gone one year. Um, I'm going to be there again this year and obviously I'm going to be uh, speaking, which I've mentioned before, but, um, yeah, the, the, the hallway conversations are definitely, you know, I, I tend to get more out of that and you, you just end up bumping into people from other companies, you know, like I ran into, uh, you know, uh, in evangelist for Twilio, it was like, Hey, I, you know, Hey, I, I, I was using your stuff and I was kind of curious what you think of this, this, and this, and you know, you get it's like a one-on-one consultant. Right. And, right. And, that's, and that's just one example. And just talking to like hearing what people's problems are and, 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 and the, the open spaces were were really great hearing um, just everybody contribute to how they're solving some of these problems that we all face.
1: Well, I, I liken it to, you know, you go to a user group meeting, right. And a user group you know, there's a topic and mm-hmm. it, it, it's kind of the cattle prod, right? We're going to talk about X and you spend an hour or two hours talking about X. And then the guys who are really interested go to the bar afterwards mm-hmm. or go somewhere else to eat food. And you have a four-hour conversation about whatever that one-hour conversation kind of kicked in gear. Yep. And you get more out of the after than you do the during. Um, or at least I always have gotten more out of the after than the during. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's the way we think of that conference, right? How, how do we do the after stuff? Mm -hmm. How do we use the sessions to provoke behaviors such that people um, will go have a conversation. We'll go have an open spaces session. Are the sessions relevant? You know, we know that you can go to Google or Bing or Microsoft or whomever and go get how to do your job. So then what's it about? You know, we can't compete with build or Google IO nor do we want to. Um, So, so how do you change that? And, and that's been a lot of the kind of driving force behind some of the things that we do and why we do it. And, um, you know, so far it's worked. I think, um, I think we're getting there. I think people start to understand what we are, um, understand, you know, how to take advantage of the, the space, that they've been offered and you know you'll hear me like I did last year I'll stand up on stage and say look our job was to create the platform it's your guys's job to enjoy it right No, if somebody sits there and says I had a terrible time at that conference then it's their own fault for staying in a session they didn't like Mm -hmm. you know you can get up and go to another one like you can't expect us to spoon-feed you we got you the speakers, we got you the the food, we got you, you know, a kick-ass resort. Now it's how do you go take advantage of that? Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, we're pushing people in a way that they're not used to being pushed. Um, you know, we have three keynotes every year and I search for industry people who can inspire a group of developers and... You know, you go to somebody and say, "I don't want to hear anything about technology. I want you to spend ninety minutes and get, you know, this year it'll be close to eight hundred people. I want you to get those eight hundred people so fired up that all they want to do is code all day. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I want you to do.
0: Yeah, I want and- you to
1: make their jobs better.
0: Right. And you and there's no specific language or anything there either. I mean, it's. That's the other great part. It's it's not just like a C sharp or JavaScript conference. You'll you'll find everybody there.
1: Yeah, I you know we get a lot of flack. People will say, "Oh, you're the Microsoft conference," um, and part of that's because I used to work at Microsoft, so they thought there was some hidden agenda. And <laughs> the reality about it was, no, you know, we put our our asses on the line to deliver on the first year, and
0: well, um, and and you know, to defend you. Um, one thing that I distinctly remember is whenever you were up in front talking to, uh, you know, talking to everybody, you had a chance to name drop and and mention Microsoft. And you actually said, you know, you're talking and then you said, yeah, I I work for a big company. And that's, that was all you said about it. I I don't believe you've ever, I've ever heard you say the word Microsoft at, at that conference.
1: Yeah. Well, they haven't been a very good sponsor. So, um, (laughs) But no, because that's not what it's about, right? right? And, right. and and you know what? Uh, while Microsoft, and at the time, was a GM who believed in this thing that I said, and I had gone to him like a startup and said, "Look, I want to go do this thing, um, but I need money, mm-hmm. and I need some seed money to get it started. And if you believe this crazy ass idea I have, I I will make you, you know, a platinum sponsor. But I need." you know, $9,000 from you and I need 5000 of it now and I'm not going to do this for two years.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And he said, you're freaking crazy. Here's $5,000. And so, you know, I took that $5,000 and um, I will, you know, you, you think any startup, you would think, well, what, where are you going to spend that $5,000, right? It doesn't cost any money to sign a contract. Mm-hmm. You have to get some lawyers, and well, hopefully you get some lawyers, or you call people and you beg for for that. But I think we spent half of that five thousand out of the gate on a creative team that I use um, and still use to this day um, to do logo mm-hmm. for us, for them to take the vision that I had in my head. And pull it out and us to come up with a motto. I mean, it's how we came up with Summer Camp for Geeks. It's how we came up with the first version of the logo. And, um, you know, I look back to then and, you know, our, what we were selling was a web page. You know, it's not like we were, we had never done it. There was no that conference before. We had done other conferences, but there was no that conference. There was no, you know, what will be there when we show up. Um, so, uh, and, and if I started another company, I would spend the first, you know, half of my seed money, the exact same way. And it, uh, it's worked, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. I think this year will be another good year. We've been working our asses off every which way to Sunday. Um, and, you know, we got good speakers. It's, it's a good polyglot group of individuals we got more women this year than we've ever had um i think we got 20 20 women speaking close to 20 we have three kids speaking yeah that's great uh, and
0: that's amazing
1: yeah i mean we're we're pretty excited we we uh we're set up to we're set up to have a good year assuming we can get all the orders done and you know all the last minute stuff that we're
2: spending all of our time on <laughs> so going back to like That conference's brand because you really do have an awesome brand. One piece of that, I don't know if you know, people who haven't gone don't know this, but it's bacon. There's bacon at every meal. You had a bacon bar. In in what new ways this year have you brought even more bacon for people to enjoy?
1: (laughs) You know, so the funny the funny thing is when we went to the Kalahari, I said, you have three requirements that have to be met. And the most like they have to be blown out of the water. Um one, I have to have amazing food. If the food is not amazing, um then I have no point of being here. Uh and secondly, I have to have awesome projectors and I have to have awesome internet. Now, their food staff is incredible. Uh, my wife does a lot of the logistics. She's the CFO of the company. Um, she does a lot of the logistics um, because she's you know twelve stairs away from me. We find ourselves <laughs> an example of a date in my house last night. My wife and I went up to the local pub. We didn't have our kids. My in laws had them, and we've we've got stuff that we need to buy. And it was like, okay, I'll take a Long Island. She's like, oh, I'll have one too. So what do you think about this with that conference? Well, I don't know. How much money is that going to cost year over year? Is it going to do this? Yeah, I'll take another Long Island. So what do you think? Did you respond back to so-and-so? Yeah, yeah, I responded back to so-and-so. Yeah, I'll take another Long Island. (laughs) You know, and so two hours goes by, and it was business the whole time. And um, So when we look at the meals, it was like, look, we just want kick-ass food, Mm -hmm. you know, and – uh, you know, we borrowed the bacon bar thing from CodeMash. They, they did that first. It wasn't like we did anything, you know, special there. The Kalahari, because they use the Kalahari and we use the Kalahari, it's been an opportunity for both organizations to um, make one another better. You know, we, the network improvements that we did during the conference last year, um, they took back to Sandusky and did it before CodeMash kicked off tested it at CodeMash and we will get the refinements of CodeMash back this year and so um you know last year we did s'mores and that was like how do we take kind of the camping theme and take it a bit further and um you know we just there was there was last year we had a decision to make we were we were short on cash um i think we were uh 25,000 short 3 3 weeks out um that we had to make up i think we made up 17,000 of it and we had to make food decisions what cuz when when you're down at the end you know what's left to cut and so foods the thing to cut um maybe that's why bill only had a croissant and a half a half a banana
0: <laughs> that was pretty bad
1: so um we had Free drink tickets at happy hour or cut food, right? And so we cut the free drinks because mm-hmm. we wanted bacon at breakfast. We wanted eggs. Like that's that's what we wanted. Um, and some people complain about not having drink tickets, but there, you know there was a conference and I got to keep my house. So you know there's <laughs> there's <laughs> like, that <laughs> you know, minor thing,
0: yeah. So, so you and I, t- you and I have talked in the past about the the mobile apps that you uh, developed for the conference. So, how did you uh, how did you create those? You so they're in bit?
1: they're in the Telerik, uh Telerik's platform. I mean, it's
0: okay. Have they been from day one?
1: Ever since, ever since. Okay. Day one. Um, they um, uh, Windows Windows has not been, but okay. iOS and Android have. You know, this year we we made this decision to redo the website. Um hindsight being 2020, it was way more work that I had ever ever anticipated. Um we the other thing that we've kind of strived to do with the conference was not necessarily do everything ourselves, but um use it as a platform to showcase the stuff that we do as developers, right? So, anybody who's wanted to come up and build a thing, um, we've said, you know, come join a team. So, we've built, you know, our site is made from scratch, ASP.NET site, um, you know, Angular here, Knockout over there. Um, the apps are, um, the the Teller platform apps, they are again this year. You know, Teller has been gracious enough to give the team um, licenses to... Um, to get that work done. And, uh, you know, there's a balance of what you can shove in there versus what we've got to get done to run to run the thing. So mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time this year on the site doing things like OAuth. And so you could have a single sign-on. We're working right now on integration with Twilio so that you can get SMS notifications when a schedule changes. Um, as a speaker, you got an email when I go and change the schedule that's integrated with Google Docs. So I can go to um, a Google spreadsheet, I can make a change, I can flip your room on you and then it, you know, posts it up to the server and um, you'll get an email that says, hey Jason, you know, Clark just, you know, ripped the rug out from underneath you. And um, so we've tried to, you know, leverage our skill set to do this stuff. And we were trying to do a, iBeacon or a BTLE scavenger hunt Uh, this year, but we just, we've run out of time. So
2: looking at that, I mean, last year you guys had NFC tags in the badges. Is, is there any other way that, that you've, you extended that or any other kind of technology further into the conference? Uh, so the NFC badges were,
1: you know, when I mentioned earlier, you know, buying a, a windows device that does not have a radio. Mm-hmm it's purely to support our sponsors and unfortunately this year it looks like given everything that's happened with nokia and microsoft you know last year nokia was the sponsor of that for us and this year uh, apparently nobody knows where the container chips full of unbought phones are um uh, and uh so we spent our time this year refining the check-in process, right? Because that took a long time last year. Um, We think we have made it much better. Um, We spent a lot of time, you know, shoring up the apps that we give each of the sponsors for the badges. Um, Our goal is that at some point, and I don't know if we'll make it this year, we'll see how the next, you know, three or four weeks pan out. Um, Our goal is that the NFC badges, now NFC, Based on who shows up, you know, the iPhone doesn't have NFC, so there's a problem there. Um, most everybody else has got NFC. Um, is that you can take your profile, if you signed up today, you, we asked you for more information on your profile than we've ever asked before. Um, this is on the website, not on Eventbrite. And the goal is that at some point we can verify that with Eventbrite and say, yes, I know that Jason Young is coming to that conference. In your profile, you can say, yes, I'd like to be public. And we have a page that says, these are all the attendees that came. Mm -hmm. And then be able to create a way that with either NFC or SMS or something that you could get a hold of Carl, who also came to that conference. And, you know, maybe have an open spaces session or have a meeting at table 22 in the dining hall. Um, So we're trying to use that and kind of technology to, to create that uh, bridge between everybody who's there. Um, And we're getting there. I I don't know if we'll, we'll get all the way there this year. Um, It just depends on where, where the tasks fall out, if you will. So.
0: Okay. Anything else you want to say about that conference before we move on?
1: Yeah. You got to August 4th to buy a ticket. Go! Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. We've, uh, we've been talking about that on the the last few episodes, actually going back, uh, quite a ways we've been telling people to buy tickets and, um, you know, a big part of that I think is, is it's just such a unique conference. And, and I know we talked about this a lot on each show, but the, the fact that I can take my family along makes it so that it's a lot less disruptive than any other conference. And then having, uh, you know, being able to, to finish up the the sessions during the day and in the evening, uh, go to the water park with my kids and my wife. That's, that, that does, that's huge. And then being able to just be in Wisconsin Dells, there's so much to do in Wisconsin Dells. So it's just a really cool experience.
1: Yeah. We, you know, kind of tongue in cheek. Yeah. You got till the fourth to buy a ticket. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we know that it's more expensive to do it at the time we're doing it, but it, the reason we're doing it then is so that you can bring your family. Um, and there's stuff for your family to do at that conference, you know, game night and the water park, like you said. Um, and then when you, when you stay at the Kalahari, you get to go to, uh, the Tommy Bartlett show, you get to go to, you know, you get free passes to the water park. And, um, like you said, there's a, there's a lot to do. So we look at that as, you know, a kind of geeky summer getaway. And, um,
0: it's fun. Yeah. Are there still rooms available at the block rate or are those used up?
1: The block rate is done. Okay. Um, that filled up faster this year than we, than it has in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, there are still, there are no more standard rooms available at the Kalahari mm-hmm. period. They're completely sold out. The, there are still suites. So if you have a family, their suites are kick-ass, you know, yeah. it's multi-room, multi multi uh, bathrooms, whatnot. Yep, That's Um, what we did last year. Yeah. I mean, very family friendly, you know, hotel, if you will.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, We, we do have a, um, a soft block, if you will, with the great wolf across the street. Mm -hmm. Um, They have some standard type rooms there. Um, I think they're 195 a night. Um, And then it's the Dells. I mean, if, if cost, if you're cost sensitive, you know, there's a Ramada, there's, Oh, yeah. You go five minutes
0: out of town and and, uh, the the rates drop down dramatically.
1: Right. Yeah. There's plenty of places to say. Now, of course, you know, you don't get kind of all the benefit.
0: But Mm -hmm. you drive uh, over every day.
1: Yeah. But it's there. Um, And next year, uh, you know, what we're trying to encourage people to do is to buy earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, not only is it easier for us to plan, but we could have sold out the Kalahari ourselves. Um, because it is such a busy time for everybody in the Dells. Um, we opened tickets, I think three months earlier, um, just so that you have an opportunity to get a room at our rate. The Kalahari has been really good about going past our legal commitments, um, and giving away, you know, more rooms than, than they're legally even obligated to.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but people have to buy early. Yeah. Um, so.
0: Okay, Cool. So uh, moving on, our Azure pick of the week. So I'm completely cheating here, and I'm picking the exact same thing I picked last week, which was the Azure Event Hubs, but I wanted to bring it up again because when I mentioned it last week, there wasn't a whole lot of information out there, but now the pricing is out and all the documentation has gone up there. So if you want to check this out, it's pretty neat. So this is similar to like, um, if you're familiar with like Amazon Kinesis, um, this is similar to that where you can have, you know, millions of devices out there, tens of millions. I know it's stated on there as like, I think it says infinite or near infinite, whatever that means. Uh, but just a ton of individual Internet of Things devices all talking up to Azure, pushing their data at an incredible rate, like gigabytes of data per second. So there's uh, there's a lot of documentation out there. You can also view some of the presentations online from WPC. There was uh, some, some intros to that and, and what its capabilities are. So I just wanted to bring that to everybody's attention. This is an extremely exciting technology. And Carl, what do you got for the app of the week?
2: Uh, this is a desktop app that I use to uh, create icons and other images for my applications. It's called Metro studio.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
2: by a company called Syncfusion, and they give this away for free. Um, you're entirely licensed to use anything in there for anything. Um, they put no restrictions on there. So uh, right now, if you download it, there's over 2,500 icons in the Metro style and uh, in the app, you can, do a search so if you're looking for you know like a mug or something you know you can type in mug and you'll find you know a few and you know find something that fits what you want. Um, you can export into uh, uh, quite a few different formats you know all the standard images as well as um, um, XML uh, you can get it in, in in the path form so if you want to you know tweak it yourself further there's uh, it's easy to do. Um, you can also customize them and change your color, um, stretch, rotate, um all that kind of stuff. and you can even combine them within the app itself and have that ex- export the you know the output. Um, I use this for a lot of my apps. Um, I've used it in, previously for uh, you know stuff at work as well. Um they look really professional. It's really easy to use and I can't recommend it enough, especially at the price of free.
0: yeah, there's some good stuff in here. Cool. that looks great. So, uh, Clark, what do you want to plug? Where can people find you?
1: Uh, so, you can find me at csel.net. That's my blog. Um, and for those who are confused, that's c s e l l. Um, uh, let's see. Thatconference.com is the the place of everything at that conference. Yep. Um, and then you know, check out Telerik, You know, platform at That's our. Okay. It's the entire suite of everything to build something for mobile.
0: And then on Twitter, you're uh, C cell five. C cell five. Yep. Okay, perfect. Uh, if you have feedback for the show, you can email that to feedback at msdevshow.com. Um, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. You can do that by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Uh, you can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. And Carl, where can they find you?
2: Uh, you can find me at wpdevguy.com and Carl Schweitzer on Twitter.